this is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben off the cheek, and you're listening to the London, London is Blue, Blue podcast. podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another Academy update with at Chelsea Youth. That's right, Phil is back with us. So those of you who are listening to this on the uh, full podcast feed and you like what you hear, guess what? We do this every single week on Patreon. We do a weekly Academy update, uh, cover the results, the upcoming fixtures, go through the tables and see what's going on. So uh, definitely check us out on Patreon uh, if you want more of this. But Phil, a bit of a big week to review. Uh, Not only did the U18s win a trophy, but we are headed into the final weekend of matches. The youth season is going to be over by the time Sunday, the sun goes down on Sunday to be dramatic. It is. It's been a, a long and tumultuous 10, 11 months, including pre-season. Uh, the last few updates that we've had have been a little bit on the disappointing side, so it's nice to come bearing good news in the form of Chelsea winning the Under-18 Premier League Cup this past midweek against Fulham. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, let's kick it off with the 18s to start. Uh, obviously, they're the ones who, who uh, recently played in the English U18 Premier League Cup. It was at Fulham against Fulham. Uh, it was actually just yesterday, and you had some lovely footage of the scenes uh, on your social media profiles. Um, kind of talk to us leading up to the, the final at Craven Cottage. Yeah, so the Under-18 League Cup runs in parallel to the, the league campaign, and it was initially devised because the... Under-18 Premier League is split regionally, 14 teams in the north, 14 in the south, with no cross-divided matches. So to augment the the game's programme and to give you the ability to play teams from outside of your regionality, they they, they brought this in five, six years ago now. You have a three te- uh, 14 group stage, three matches. Winner goes through. Then you have quarterfinal, semifinal, final. So Chelsea had, had a really interesting group stage where they played Blackburn, Reading, uh, Manchester United, uh, not sorry, not Manchester United, uh, Derby County. Uh, they won the first two games 3-2 and drew 3-3 at Derby. And then they played Manchester United in the quarterfinal and won 3-2 there as well. So it's a very familiar scoreline with a lot of comebacks throughout this competition. They haven't made it easy on themselves. They did go to Stoke in the semifinals and they won that comprehensively 5-1, which set up the, the showpiece occasion at Fulham on Wednesday. Uh, Fulham had a relatively smooth ride by comparison. And by virtue of a toy car... Quintos, if I mix up my words, uh, were given home advantage, which, given the current climate of sanctions and Chelsea's inability to sell tickets to certain matches, was probably the outcome that favoured Chelsea fans the most, even though the team had to play in front of a few thousand Fulham fans. uh, There was a sizable Chelsea contingent uh, just down the road from Stamford Bridge in West London, turned out to support the boys, and, and they got the job done. Uh, they won 2-1, an early goal from Leo Castledine and a late winner from Judson Sabel. And it represents their first silverware for this team in four years since the fifth of five of their youth cups in 2018, which, if you remember that far back, was clinched away to Arsenal in glorious fashion, 7-1 on aggregate. Uh, it was 4-0 at the Emirates, Billy Gilmore, Callum Hudson-Odoi, Tino Andrian, an outstanding performance from Reese James and... Just rattling off those names, having been successful in a few years ago, gives you an indication of what sort of success can do to the careers of young players and how having a tangible reward for the work you put in over the course of the season just gives you that extra lift, that extra motivation to to push on again. Well, uh, again, it was good to hear uh, post-match... 
you know, I guess the quotes from Ed Brand as well. He's talking about the culture at the academy and the culture that they've built and the tradition that they built is to not only to make it to finals, but to win silverware and how he just kind of implored that into them. And I think you saw that response in this match. Like you said, you go up one nothing, fantastic goal uh, from Castledine. Uh, Fulham come back to level it up, and then Chelsea score late in the match. You know, they just didn't stop pushing. You know, like I said, there's a sense of urgency that not all teams have uh, win those cup finals because, look, you might want to play a little bit more uh, compact. You're afraid of making a mistake and things like that. You know, but this Chelsea team, they continue to just um, push for it and knew that, like, extra time penalties wasn't the way they were going to do it. Like, they want this done, you know, in regulation. And I think you could see that in the in the, the way the match played out. Yeah, you absolutely could. And to your point about winning being important as a culture around Chelsea, it's one of the club's pillars. They play to win. Uh, and Neil Barth has been on record numerous times saying that youth development at Chelsea isn't all about winning, but it's a, it's a strong part of developing an elite-level footballer. And you can see the success that uh, the first team academy graduates have had in winning the Champions League and, and becoming core members of a side that expects to compete for trophy season in season out. So they'll have gone into this final knowing that they, they're out of the Youth Cup and they can't win the league. So this was their opportunity to to win some silverware this season. They approached it as if it was the FA Youth Cup. They picked the strongest possible team available to them. And games against Fulham are always tight, always scrappy, always full of tension and drama because Fulham are a really good team as well they're exceptionally well coached they're professionally coached they don't make life easy for you so it was always going to be one of those matches that swung back and forth Chelsea scored Fulham equalised both teams hit the woodwork and 80, under 18 finals if they go to extra time can become a little bit leggy and a little bit stretched because the players feel it they're not used to playing matches of that intensity for the extra periods of time so you want somebody to step up and take over the game provide that moment of quality that uh, that wins the match for you, and that, and that was provided by Charlie Webster, who was man of the match overall. But it was it was his bursting run through the midfield, reminiscent of Mateo Kovacic at his absolute best, picking the ball up from the opponent, shrugging off three attempts to foul him, bursting through the lines from his half into the other half, and then sliding the perfect through ball into Jusun Subbell, who finished in a very accomplished manner. And it was it was really pleasing to see Jude score that goal and have that moment because it's not been the easiest season for him. You'll remember that last season he was extremely prolific at under-18 level, moved up to the development squad and scored on his debut there. And it, it sounds almost unfair to say that he's had a hard season because he made his first team debut back in December away to Brentford in the League Cup. But he's he's played more development squad football than he has under 18s. He's been through some injuries. He's been through some tough times in front of goal and the goals haven't always been there for him. And by his own admission, it's been frustrating and it's been hard to deal with some of those setbacks. So for him to be able to sign off with uh, a trophy winning goal um, at the end of his under 18 run is is incredibly valuable for him and it's going to lift him going into Sunday's development squad game, for example, and then into the summer where you, you want to kick on and take that next step forward in your career. So very pleasing for him and very pleased to see um, another really, really strong midfield performance by Charlie Webster, who's finished the season in really good form. Absolutely. And that's actually a good point, too, because another thing that, you know, uh, Ed Brandon said, this was an absolute team effort. But he said squad effort, right? He's like, we had players from the 16s this season, the 17s, the 18s. We had players from the dev squad coming down. He was like, this one, probably more than most, like really was a squad effort just because of, you know, we've talked about this all season, Phil, you know, like the scheduling of 
academy matches and first team matches make no sense. Uh, it, it restricts players' ability to kind of participate across multiple competitions or be available for multiple competitions. Um, and because of that, they had to uh, reach deep or get creative uh, with personnel decisions, uh, not only just in the season, but the run up to the to the cup final as well. And obviously, you just talked about Jude and and kind of his his um, I guess rotation between the teams as well. Yeah, we we've spoken about this a lot this season. It's squad effort because we'll go back to the start of the group stage in September, uh, the game against Blackburn. Some of the under 16s were involved in that, and you go through the course of a nine ten month season, and different players were featuring different games throughout the run. Malik Mothersill wasn't available for the final, but was the team's top scorer throughout the run. Scored in the group stages, scored in the knockouts. Ronnie Stutter was unavailable through injury. He scored against Manchester United. He scored against Stoke. Uh, there were a number of other players who didn't play. Billy G didn't play. Josh Tobin didn't play. Uh, and you can go on and on. And that means that the players who are available need to step up and sometimes in different roles. Jimmy Tarion had a really, really impressive performance as, as a deep six when we've seen him play at different times this season as a number 10, as a one of two tens. He's played wide. He played left back in an emergency uh, capacity against Crystal Palace last Saturday, um, showing his versatility. And we always know that the Chelsea Academy value the more you can do. And it's at times like this where the stakes are high. You have some squad issues, but you still have a, squad, a strong team out there. Uh, and then you want to go out and, and give a performance that justifies the occasion and and bring the trophy home. And it was it was just it was so rewarding to see these players celebrate the moment after the match with their friends and with their family. Uh, just be, it's been four years some of these boys haven't won anything tangible at youth team level they've won several tournaments in their younger days and schoolboy days and they're very accustomed to success but it's it's nice for them to have that moment in front of the cameras uh, have these mementos to cherish and then to, to, to use that as fuel to, 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 to move forward with yeah no that makes a lot of sense um, you know Again, on the night, we had some absolute heroes. Uh, we had some some good goals. Um, defending's not always been the, the first part of the group. But like I said, this is about developing young footballers. Uh, it's about putting them in challenging situations to see how they react. And so not, not to tease our, but we're definitely going to be doing a full academy breakdown postseason uh, with this group. So uh, more to come on that one. But we should uh, talk about the last match for this group. They're going to be taking on the, um, the, the Southern Conference champion Southampton uh, this, this upcoming Saturday, actually, which is annoying because it was supposed to be Friday. Nick and Dan were going to go, and now we have no idea because, as I complained earlier, they don't schedule these very, in a very friendly manner. Yeah, so there's been some scheduling changes. Southampton are the under-18 South champions now. And we'll take on Manchester City for the right to national title, which Chelsea have won in the past. Uh, it's essentially a dead rubber, this game, for both teams. Um, Southampton won't want to risk players being injured ahead of the big showpiece occasion, and Chelsea have nothing to play for in the under-18 game. Moreover, 24 hours later, Chelsea will have the Survival Sunday decider in the PL2 against Tottenham, which we'll get to in a minute. So I would expect to see wholesale changes, at least on Chelsea's side. Southampton might not want to lose rhythm, so you'll expect to see some core foundation of their team that's got them this far rather than giving them a two or two and a half week break but Chelsea have already started moving towards next season in some of these matches and while you don't want to expose an entire team of under 16s for example to play away to the defending champions who are on a high and a really good team in their own right 
you won't see anybody involved who is remotely likely to be involved against Tottenham on Sunday. So you won't see Charlie Webster, you won't see Harvey Vare, you probably won't see Jude Sunsart Bell. You're unlikely to see Alfie Gilchrist and Dylan Williams and so on and so forth. Uh, it's we, we talked about the squad game and it's a squad game this week as well. The, the more advanced of the under-18s who have played regular de- de- development squad football will be involved against Tottenham. And it's the everybody else who's available, who's played the core of the season, who's played in this cup run earlier on and maybe didn't feature in the final they're going to play at Southampton some of them will be signing off their under 18 uh, careers for example Prince Adagoke if he plays in goal he's no longer eligible for youth team football after this so it'll be last game at this level before moving up to the development squad full time um, and there'll be a changing of the guard as there usually is at this time of year yeah um, alright well uh, like I said it it still would have been fun to be able to go see the, the, the team play and, and take it in but um, that seems to be a consistent thing. Like I, what we've been over there, I think five times at least, uh, since like 2016 and sure enough that we've never, never had the schedule break our way where we could go see the U team. And it kind of lines up. I can only up presume like that they're doing again. it deliberately now. Yeah. I can oh only presume gosh. they're doing it to wind you up. I'll have to have a word. <laughs> I appreciate it as always. Hey, we're going to take a real quick break up when we're back. We're going to jump into the dev squad there and then. Our word battle. That's right, relegation. So thank you to sponsors for financially supporting the show, and we'll be right back. All right, our next partner has a product that I use literally every day. I started taking AG1 because, well, it's hard to get a lot of micronutrients in. You know, we're all focused on our macros with protein, carbs, and, and fat. And now we got to add the micronutrients from fruits and vegetables. It's just hard to eat that many servings a day. So uh, I started doing it just to make my life a lot more efficient. I'm getting better gut health and a more uh, durable resistant immune system. So what is this stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food, sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging, all of the things. Again, I do it. It's easy. It's fast. It's quick. Uh, I throw up my shaker usually on my way home from work, drink it, it it goes down quickly uh and like i said you get six servings of vegetables a day very easily uh, but hey don't listen to me athletic greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews it's recommended by professional athletes and is trusted by leading health experts such as tim Ferriss and michael gervais so right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition it's just one scoop and a cup of water every day that's it no need for a million different pills supplements to look out for your gut health to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to say give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash London is blue. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash London is blue to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, so from trophy winners to relegation battlers, Phil, we've got the Dev Squad who have had a very, very challenging season. Uh, it has been the most drama you could ever have tried to write if you were doing it on your own. Um, I guess long story short, just lost to Blackburn 4-3. 
uh, on the 1st of May. Happy May Day, not really. Uh, Blackburn in 9th on 35 points. Chelsea in 13th on 25 points. So it's not like Blackburn, you know, were threatened to, to be relegated either. They were nice and comfortable, but Chelsea just couldn't get it done as they are literally fighting uh, for survival. Exactly that. So Chelsea went into that game knowing that they needed one win from their last two games to guarantee survival. And to say it was a topsy-turvy game at Ewood Park would be an understatement. Blackburn went 1-0 down. Jay Wareham scored a penalty, but then turned it around. Two quick goals from Jack Vale, no relation to Harvey. And then Chelsea turned it around before half-time with two from Tiana Ballo, which were both assisted by Harvey Vale. And so you go in at half-time 3-2 up and you think, all right, get the job done, see it over the line. Uh, and then Blackburn's Vale scores two in the second half. He ended up with all four goals and a winner in stoppage time. The stoppage time goal itself didn't particularly impact things. If Chelsea had drawn that match, they would have still needed to win their final game against Tottenham because uh, two draws would have left them relegated on goal difference. Leeds have a better goal difference than Chelsea do. Uh, it, it can be potentially deflating to lose in that manner, having been in a position to, to win the game at halftime and having led twice. Um, but what's done is done and more optimistically several of those players involved then went to Fulham on Wednesday night and had uh, maybe the, the finest moment of the season and will go into Sunday's game on a real high and we've, we've been talking about this for weeks now and it comes down to, to win or bust they have to win or they're going down and Tottenham are safely in mid-table they can improve a couple of places they drew 0-0 against Brighton in the previous game and both teams seem to be on the beach to be fair but don't don't get me wrong Tottenham know that they come into this in the position to relegate Chelsea and they will revel in that they could put a stronger team out than usual they know that they've got a role to play in this and Chelsea could put a stronger team out if they wanted to we've discussed the idea that Callum Hudson-Odoi returned to training this week he's been short of any first team involvement for a couple of months now if they feel inclined to get him some minutes so that he's ready for the run-in ready for the FA Cup final for example um as as is the as is the way a lot of clubs operate, trying to get players back from injury, he's entirely eligible by age. There are provisions for overages like Ross Barkley to be involved. I don't necessarily foresee Chelsea doing this, but it's going to be by any means necessary at this point to keep them up. There will be an argument that relegation can be used as a learning curve and so on and so forth. But Chelsea want to be playing at the highest possible level. They want to be playing in the league that befits the club stature. They don't want to be the subject of relegation talk in the first place, but we all go into this game now at Cobham, which um, it was, like you say, it was meant to be at King's Meadow on Friday, but because of the close proximity to the cup final on Wednesday, they've had to move it back to the weekend uh, because the women are hosting a very important game themselves at King's Meadow on Sunday. Chelsea's game has been switched to Cobham and we, we'll wait and see what happens. I'm, Relatively confident, actually. I know I'm generally quite bullish on Chelsea's academy chances anyway, but they've had five consecutive games away from home. It's been a really tough slog for the last two months. Their home form has been much better than their away form. Not particularly great because they're in a relegation zone, but in a one-off match at home against Tottenham, and we, we spoke about this when the under-18s beat Tottenham, they know what it means to, to play against a rival. They know what it means to have a, a, a battle for... for for pride and for points and in this case there's a whole lot more to play for and it actually bookends the season um, because if we go way back to last August it was the, the match that opened the campaign for Chelsea they went away to Tottenham, two goals from Harvey Vale started and 
uh, they were pegged back to 2-2. That wouldn't be enough this time, but uh, the time for talking is over. Yep, again, it, um, to your point, like they had to win one of two, right? Because my understanding is that Leeds are done playing. Um, it's all over for them, yeah. They, they've been done since the, the last time we spoke, and they can only watch on as Chelsea played their last two matches. So, again, we've talked about this for the last many weeks. The games in hand are going to turn out to be massively crucial. Everyone says it. If you're chasing points and you've got games in hand, great. But if you've already, you know, if you're chasing people, you've played all your games, you're in trouble. So here it comes. Like, it, it becomes a one-game season, right? And mm-hmm. the fact that it's Tottenham adds an edge most definitely. They would love nothing more than to relegate Chelsea. But at the same time, like, I still think they're not going to go out of their way and, like, accidentally get hurt or overexert because, you know, the summer's here. They're ready for a break. Uh, they're going to be fighting for, um, you know, new contracts, potentially signings. Like, there's just a lot going on when you're an academy player. So I think that that goes in our favor. This is the chance. This 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 dev squad has been such a goofy team. Uh, it's the same shit, Phil. Go down a goal, show a response, and then lose it late sometimes. And, like, this is the chance that they have to come out of the gates. Minute zero, fly at Tottenham, take it to them. And if you get the first goal, kind of like we saw the men's team not do against Everton, they let Everton grow into the game. But, like, at this point, they need to be on top from the beginning. They get that first goal, Tottenham will be like, Nah, it's not really worth it, right? But they have to make sure that they they go out from the start uh, with fire and passion and intensity, so that Tottenham just goes, "Nah, I'm good. Never mind. I'm good. You know what? I don't want yeah. the smoke. You guys take it." You said it right. Chelsea need to start this game well because uh, it's not just necessarily influencing Tottenham's behaviour, but the longer that game goes without Chelsea being in a position to to win. The, the more tension creeps in, the clock is ticking away, not just on the match, but on your season and your time in the top tier. And you want to be able to control things, get an early goal, play the game on your terms, play the game in your strategy, because the longer it goes on, you're going to have to adapt your strategy. You're going to have to go more direct, throw on more attackers, and that compromises the defensive stability and so on and so forth. Uh, and Chelsea haven't had a particularly strong record of scoring early, um, and that, like as you said, when they have scored, they've given up goals or they've left themselves too much work to do coming back. So, <coughs> excuse me, they they have to, they have to fly out the traps in this one. They have to carry the momentum that they from from the Fulham game in midweek into this one. Bring that energy, bring the the success that they've had, uh, and go out there and assert themselves on a Tottenham team that, like uh, to your point, will potentially wilt under the pressure of it saying. You know what? This is the last game of the season. I don't want to spend my summer in the rehab room. I don't want to be injured. Uh, let's just not give it everything. Force them to submit. The longer it goes on, the more that Tottenham will sense that they can achieve something. They can relegate Chelsea. So absolutely, let's go out there, fly out the traps. Fifteen minutes, get a goal, get a lead, and leave this put, put any doubt to bed. Do you think that uh, now the 18s really don't have anything to play for? They've gotten their trophy. Um, how many of those players do you think they're going to pop back up? You know, obviously we just talked about Jude Sunsun Bell getting the winner for the 18s. Yeah, everyone who is potentially eligible and can help them win will will be involved. And 
most like Lewis Hall, Sunset Bell, Charlie Webster, uh, Dylan Williams, Alfie Gilchrist, they've all spent the majority of the season with the development squad rather than the under 18s. They there's no reason for them to be involved at Southampton. They will be involved in this one against uh, Tottenham. Harvey Vale has only played Youth Cup in this final for the under-18s this season. And then you've got some of the fringe players like Silco Thomas and Malik Mothersell, if he's available. Brody Hughes has spent most of the season with the development squad, even though he's played more under-18 games than the other players I've mentioned. Uh, Luke Bedley-Morgan, the, the same. Anyone who is a remote candidate to impact the match in a meaningful way against Tottenham should not be involved against Southampton. That game for the under-18s is dead. Neither team can benefit from winning or losing I mean, Chelsea can theoretically finish third in the league, but Crystal Palace and Fulham both have a game in hand. They're playing each other after this weekend. So it's unlikely that Chelsea finish third. And also it doesn't particularly matter. It's just for honour. Whereas it very much matters where the development squad finish, whether they finish in 13th or 12th. Correct. Yeah. So again, all all guns blazing. Um, it's going to be tough though. You know, not, not a lot of eyes on that match because we're hopefully we'll be watching the women uh, lock up yet another FAWSL title that Sunday against Manchester United, which again, Nick and Dan will be at. Uh, I'm sure Jesse will be there as well. And some many other friends. Uh, what are you going to do, Phil? I know you're a big Kings Meadow fan and the Chelsea women and Emma Hayes. How, how are you going to handle this? Cause there's great emotion and elation on one hand and potential darkness and despair on the other. Uh, we'll be hoping for a double celebration come mid-afternoon on Sunday. Understandably, my priority, my focus and most of my attention will be on the development squad game at Cobham. I will be keeping close eye on what's happening at Kings Meadow and let's hope it's a, a very successful end to the, the season for every team at the club. Uh, look, fireworks definitely coming, I think, all across uh, both teams and things like that. Um, from a coaching perspective, is it just going to be Andy Myers and team over there? Like, does Ed Brand come up and help with anything? No, with I mean, during the week in training, they'll have their own groups and obviously the coaches collaborate on player availability. But now for the, for the match day, it'll be Andy Myers and John Harley and Jack Majore, uh, the usual 23 coaching staff. Um, and, and that's how it will be there, there may be changes in the summer we've speculated about this a little bit on and off it's towards the sort of the window where Chelsea would consider making changes to their uh, coaching structure and, and the lead coaches in different age groups just naturally after a three year period but now for this one Ed will have the 18s on Saturday uh, and Andy will have the 23s on Sunday okay um, well, I think that kind of covers the two teams. I did want to bring in, because uh, I don't think we've been able to touch on this since, but it sounded like Petr Cech, uh, Tuchel, and maybe someone else from Tuchel's staff were taking in U18 action recently. Isn't that right? Yeah, so uh, it was Crystal Palace in the league last Saturday. It was a 2 all draw. And for 20, 25 minutes in the second half, uh, Tuchel and Cech joined Neil Bath. Uh, watching the game uh, as as right. as they have done on occasion throughout the season, um, check more so than Tuchel because he has fewer day to day responsibilities on the pitch. Tuchel will be training or traveling <laughs> when, with the team when he's not playing ice hockey. <laughs> Maybe, absolutely, I don't think he's played for the Guildford Flames since uh, before pandemic. Maybe I can't remember now, but it must be nice. Um, it must be nice indeed. Uh, Tuchel's talk. Tuchel's watched the odd game here and there which is more than can be said for some of his predecessors i think it's it's, it's an easy thing to do 
that gets a positive reaction from the fan base. It's, it's encouraging for the players to see. I remember he did it with the under-15 group at some point in one of the lockdown seasons, which was a big surprise. Um, and I remember Rio Ferdinand talking about it as if and people were doubting as to what, how Rio would know. It was against Brighton's under-15s and Rio someplace for Brighton, uh, that age group. So he was very much telling the truth. Either way, it's, um, it's encouraging the first-team hierarchy are... Not just watching the match, but in regular contact with the academy management and uh, hopefully plotting a course forward that, that involves close collaboration and a steady flow of players into the first team environment. Because we're about to enter a new era of ownership that none of us, with uh, even with the best guesses, are, are really going to know how things are going to operate. It's going to be very different to the previous era of ownership. And when you have an academy as prolific and as capable as Chelsea's, it's, it's a huge asset that can give you an advantage. So hopefully it's not the last time we see them. I don't expect it'll be the last time we see them. Uh, it was just really nice to see uh, that they invested some of their time watching the team. I love it. Obviously, I think to your point, you nailed it. It is the actual easiest way to get brownie points. It's not like they don't have a lot going on and it's unjustifiable. But to your point, we've undoubtedly seen predecessors of two goals avoid uh the the youth side of Cobham um and really really just make a point of ignoring it and kind of closing it off um obviously Frank Lampard getting a lot of points uh with that a uh, huge run up with the with the academy influence into the Champions League final last year um continuing to see it um we're, we're gonna have to see how it goes I think the academy heading into the summer and again this will be off off uh off season content will have a much bigger role during this transition as well um especially because we sold off so many players last last summer we just don't have that option this summer really to match that again so uh the new the new ownership group is gonna have to to use the academy very strategically uh throughout this transition which i think is is good and exciting and as as we all most of us know about the baseball side of um uh the analytics department there's literally no department bigger for them. Um, and that's going to come into it as well. So uh, really good content from Nick and Matt Law talking about the Academy. And we'll, we'll have to see if we get more from that. But uh, Matt seems to be really bullish, Phil, that the Academy is going to be a huge priority, a, a place of investment. Um, and so we'll keep an eye on that, see how it goes. But obviously, you're going to be uh, a big fan of, of analytics and investment. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's been, it's been fascinating learning more about the way the Dodgers have operated in various different ways. I'm not a particularly big baseball fan, but I'm tangentially aware of what's happening at any given point. So understanding that they are as big on uh, internal talent development as well as sourcing players from elsewhere is encouraging um, and obviously smart as well. It's a very efficient way to to build a squad um, cost-effectively. Uh, and uh, as Matt said on the comprehensive update earlier this week, which people haven't listened to, I would very much encourage that they do. Uh, there's a general expectation that the new ownership group will invest heavily in the academy. And as I said to you offline, that as far as I'm concerned, the first conversation that they should be having with Neil and the everyone else in the academy is simply, what do you need? These These are people who have built the best academy in England as far as I'm concerned an academy that has proven that it can produce first team players that are eminently capable of winning the Champions League for Chelsea because they have done so you don't need to reinvent the wheel you don't need to tear up the playbook you don't need to re to fix what's broken because it's not broken 
go in there and say, we know what you're doing, we're going to leave you to it, and we're going to give you what you need. And as long as that happens, I think Chelsea are onto a winner. It's a time of great uncertainty, and at great uncertainty, you want to fall back on the things that you know to be solid foundations, which are Thomas Tuchel, which are the young core of the first team, which are the academy, which is the women's team. These are the pillars of Chelsea right now. And the ownership group is making the positive noises and positive sounds. They they can talk the talk, and we're going to find out soon if they can walk the walk, and we certainly hope so. All right, much, much more content like that, as always, on Patreon every single week. Thank you so much, Phil, for providing your insights and experience. We appreciate it. Anytime, and here's to a much happier weekend and a much more successful weekend than we've been able to review over the last couple of months. Absolutely. Big weekend, uh, not only for the women, but for the youth uh, team as well. And shit, let's be honest, at this point, for the men as well. They need top four. (laughs) So again, uh, Phil and I chat every single week about the Academy. Uh, It's on Patreon. Go check us out. Um, But uh, yeah, I think that's going to wrap it up. Uh, Looking ahead in the schedule, you're going to get a two-part Tinkerman. So enjoy that while Nick and Dan are on their way to the UK as you're listening to this. Uh, And I will be there next week. So until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Blue flags flying high.